So, so I begin, sometimes there's like, especially now you'll find like, oh, we're just asking dangerous questions as if it's sort of an intellectual, sort of philosophical, we're just getting crazy with our questions. But to me, it's, it's where the life is. It's, uh, it's what drives how you shape your day and what you give your energies to. So uh, I always talk about how calling is overrated and curiosity is underrated. And uh, I mean, that's what happened to me with this book is I set out to reclaim the sermon as an art form. But in the tradition I came from, the sermon comes from the Bible. So I actually started reading the Bible and I was like, wait, hold on. This is <laughs> people have no idea what this book is so different than people think it is. It's like the opposite, mostly of what people think it is. Well, hey, friends, that was Rob Bell. You know that voice. And uh, man, I was just so excited to be able to sit down and talk to him and hear about his life, his work, his creativity, and especially his brand new book, which is out today called What is the Bible? How an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything. Uh, and I'm just finding this book to be deeply satisfying. Uh, enjoyable, rich, and really, really good. So uh, you can order it on robbell.com, on Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, wherever you buy books, uh, get this one. It was real. It is really, really good. And I hope you enjoy the conversation that I had with Rob. Uh, I found it to be amazing. Uh, he is just, he was honest, he was hilarious, and uh, it was so good. <laughs> So, enjoy, my friends. How are you? Oh man, I'm so good, and uh, I am just—I'm so good. I, I, I didn't even try to do that, but I am <laughs> so good. <laughs> I honestly didn't. We just talked about that. Uh, and here's Rob Bell. He just released a new book called "What Is the Bible: How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything." So, Rob, um, the first question—I um, I love how the book even opens, uh, and it opens with a quote from Rilke, uh, one of my favorite quotes: "Try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms and like books that are written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you, because." you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. So my first question is, what is the art of the really great question? Uh, for me, it's very personal. The great uh, Robert Irwin is, is one of my favorite artists, and he talks about pursuing a line of inquiry, that yeah. what you're doing with your life is you're pursuing a line of inquiry. And so when it's interesting when you interact with someone who's doing interesting work or who has some sense of joy, generally they're they're pursuing something which is rooted in curiosity, which is rooted in questions. Yeah. How, how do I be a good urban public school teacher? How do I run a business that actually makes something good for people that's a beautiful place to work? Like how, you know what I mean? How yeah. do I lead a community of people somewhere? Um, so, so I begin, sometimes there's like, especially now you'll find like, oh, we're just asking dangerous questions as if it's sort of an intellectual <laughs> sort of philosophical, we're just getting crazy with our questions. But to me, it's, it's where the life is. It's, uh, it's what drives how you shape your day and what you give your energies to. So, uh, I always talk about how calling is overrated and curiosity is underrated. Yes. Um, 
And uh, I mean, that's what happened to me with this book is I set out to reclaim the sermon as an art form. But in the tradition I came from, the sermon comes from the Bible. So I actually started reading the Bible and I was like, wait, <laughs> hold on. This is – people have no idea what – this book is so different than people think it is. Yeah. It's like the opposite mostly of what people think it is. So part of it was could you – and like with this book specifically – could I introduce people to what this book really is, um, which is a different thing than what it says? Because I'm sure you've been around people who are like, here are the seven blah, blah, or the 11. Like the goal is to somehow summarize it. I'm trying to do the opposite of summarize it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. I'm yes. trying to show you a way to read it that will just keep getting wider and bigger and more interesting the more you read it. Uh, I love that. I love that. I, I actually have this... Um, I have this, so have you read Harry Potter? Are you a Harry Potter guy? Do you, do, do you uh, enjoy? I am the only person in my family who is not obsessed. <laughs> uh, uh, but you're conversant. Me. You're conversant. Yes. So I have this, I have this theory now that most Christians treat the Bible like it's a horcrux. Like, right, Lord Voldemort put his being into seven different things and and like instead of trying to destroy it we're just trying to desperately keep it alive as it was you know six thousand years ago um and and that's just such a waste of time i mean that's such a a, a faulty pursuit it seems to me so um yeah you know one interviewer asked me what happens if you read something and you don't agree with it and i was <laughs> It struck me as funny because that was the last question. Who cares yeah. whether I agree with it? No, I'm caught up. Did you agree with the new Depeche Mode album? You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, you enter into it. You let it sort of wash over you. You see what it's going to do to you. Yeah, it's just a different set of questions. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm gonna get back to the to the book, but uh, you seem to inhabit a kind of joy that leaks everywhere. Um, where does that come from? What are you drinking from? What are you smoking? <laughs> um, I mean, maybe, good Lord. Man, I never know how to answer that question. Um, oh, I know, I, one answer would be, maybe it's just temperament, maybe that's just how I am. But when I was in my early 20s, I got a job as a pastor and visited people in hospital and prison and sat with people after their 16-year-old kid had killed himself and did funerals for people who died of AIDS. And so at a relatively young working age, I was exposed to an extraordinary spectrum of suffering, um, which any, I mean, lots of people have work where they know what I'm talking about. So I would, then I would go home to my family that night or go home to my wife and Instead of like, oh, everything's falling apart, uh, we're, we all could die tomorrow, which is all true. I uh, somehow it over time it did the opposite. Like, oh my word, this whole thing is so fragile; it's barely hanging in the distance. I call it the wisdom after wisdom. It's Ecclesiastes wisdom. We're all gonna die. You're gonna hand all your finances to some idiot who's gonna blow it. But <laughs> you are here today. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're breathing and you've got a little life in your heart. So what do you want to do? And then probably soon after that, 
um, I would have been late 20s, early 30s, my work was brought me so much joy, but it also, there were all these people who didn't like what I was doing. And so I think somewhere within me, I can let that win or I double down on the absurdity and the ridiculousness of it. <laughs> yeah. Then makes you, as my wife always says, now you're dangerous. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, and I actually never thought about it until answering it now, but obviously like in the gospels when Jesus is like, Oh, by the way, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. They're going to kill me. Yeah. Um, there's a certain, so now we can really live. Yeah. You know, the Dalai Lama talks about if you want to understand life, begin with death. Um, and I think so many people are are holding too tightly to the thing. And then no wonder it's not a very funky walk. I know, right? <laughs> I love that story you tell about the conference you were at with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And I don't know if I'm oh, getting this yeah. right, but they, they, they just sort of walk toward each other. And then they start tickling each other or giggling they or something. Each other. I was standing right with them when they met each other. And they hug each other and tickle and start giggling. It, and it's seriously the weirdest sound, too, those two giggling. And that was actually a, a defining moment in answer to your question. That was 2008, so that was like nine years ago or whatever. Is that nine years ago? Eleven years? Yeah, nine years ago. Um, I had expected, because these are people who have seen some of the worst suffering the world has to offer. I had expected like, a, ooh, everybody gets serious because it's about to go down and there's yeah. going to be this holy hush and we're all going to sort of, wow, you're right. And instead, it was like, oh, the people who have seen the worst, if they go all the way through it, they come out the other side with this incredible respect and gratitude for this unbelievably precious gift. So when I say people, like I was doing a Q&A recently and someone said, all that rejoice stuff in the New Testament, I call bullshit. And I was like, uh, because you haven't, you didn't keep going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Stage, you're in stage one. Please come <laughs> to stage two. And I'm totally with you. You got to go through stage one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Got to go through the rage and the anger and the what in the world is this? Um, but if you keep going, you'll actually find yourself on the other side. And that, oh my word. Now, raise your glasses. Like that's so that's good. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I think that's interesting. Why I wanted to ask you is because I know you've been through major uh, chaos and pain, and so when you when I see joy in you, um, it makes me curious. You know, um, yeah, it makes me yeah. curious. So, um, okay, uh, agree or disagree to this? The Bible is a verb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, there's an element to that. I can see where you're coming from. I would begin with it's an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories that can touch one with me. That comes across pretty well. That that kind of has a ring to it. But I understand. I mean, people talk about God as a verb, and I do love the recapturing of movement as yeah. the fundamental way. You, you've had uh, – we've had about 300 years of obsession with absolutes, yeah. which is about foundations, which is about static realities. What's never changing? Um but actually, life, faith, is the whole thing is movement. And now you have quantum physicists saying, actually, even atoms are moving and are clouds of possibilities. So the thing actually is, not metaphorically, right. but literally the whole thing is energy and relationship. Um, so I do, I do think that then when you start talking about the Bible as a verb, this is 
these are people writing about the human experience and you, and the power of a sacred text is enough people thousands of years later have listened to what they had to say that you're joining something. And that is a very, it's a very powerful way to think about it. Yeah. Um, well, you write in, in, in your book, which I am loving. I, I really am just loving it. Uh, you write, there's something going on just below the surface of the Bible. So you read it carefully. You pay attention to the weird bits. You notice the details. So can you talk about how your understanding of the Bible has evolved over time? Yeah, I, I think probably when I first like started giving sermons, the tradition, the sort of the lineage that I came from, it, it almost sounds like the Bible dropped out of the sky. So um, who wrote it or why, or why two people would tell about the same event very differently were sort of things you, you uh, I don't know, uh, you just sort of, hmm, awkward. <laughs> and, no, you work really hard at making sure there are no differences, that you, yeah, that you whittle those away. Love that. I mean, there are four resurrection accounts that are all over the place in terms of what they choose to report. So you either just keep pretending like that's not a big deal and that, or, and then that creates a shadow side, which is a doubt that the whole thing has just been made up or you go into the heart of it and you're like, Oh, it's cause they're humans yeah, and they're reacting to something they can't quite understand in human terms. And they're differing because they're all actually like we are seeing and emphasizing different things. And now that just becomes a – now that's a story that might actually have some resonance and power. Yeah. Otherwise, it appears strong, but it's actually quite weak instead of going into its weakness and you discover a different kind of strength. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, I think um, – You'll see the Bible. A lot of people will be like, there are no contradictions and that appears like a strong, robust faith statement instead of, oh, no, there's tons. And that appears like it's undermining the Bible. But to acknowledge all those contradictions is actually to affirm it at a much more profound level. I totally agree. I, I think it gives it more, more power, more Absolutely. a sense of Absolutely. mystery that it has endured over time despite having uh, these, these contradictions or, or maybe because. I mean, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so can we riff on some Hebrew words, some of your favorite Hebrew words? Do you want to riff? Yeah. All right. Uh, shuv. So it oh, means yeah. to, uh, to return, to, but go ahead, riff. Oh, yeah. So there's, so Hebrew language generally are three-letter roots. So shuv, which also uh, out of it you get the word teshuva, like means to turn. So to turn. Uh, like to go in a different direction, to alter your course. So then you have return out of that word. So the idea of teshuva was that you sort of, you're on this path. You're on your true path. You wandered off into the weeds. You realize, oh, I left my path. And so that moment has some sorrow in it, but it's joy. Like, oh, yeah. thank you, God, that now I see that I wandered off the path. And so you head back to your path. So that's the word that gets translated often in the Testament as repentance, which is Less about some guy out on the street with a placard in front of a killer show telling you that you're going to hell and much more about this powerful... I got soul, but I'm not a soldier. Thank you. Well done. So it's much more about the, the, the gratitude of being woken up, being poked, prodded, 
being grabbed by the shoulders. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And by the time of Jesus, and especially in Greek, it referred to a new way of thinking. So it was like, like we would say, what are you thinking? Or in recovery movement, you have to get rid of stinking thinking. Mm. Yeah, you repent. Yeah. You chew. Good. Uh, okay, Mitzrayim, the Hebrew word that describes Egypt, means the narrow place. The oh, place. Right, right, right. Yeah. And then in, in the Psalms, there's these constant references to a wide place. Yes. These like two images of location or physicality. Like there's a tight, cramped, trapped space, yes. which is both geographic and of the soul. And then you have the wide place of freedom. So you think about people who talk about being trapped in their lives. I feel like I'm backed into a corner. I feel like a number in, in the cog in the machine, a number. I feel like I'm just a part in the spoke. In the, you know, you have all these images that we use, which are narrow versus wide places. Yes. And I love in the ancient tradition, Exodus is the first book of the Bible. Genesis, because it's about these people being liberated from what enslaves them. So the question is, well, how'd they end up enslaved? Oh, well, in the beginning. So Genesis is like a prologue to the yeah. actual thing, which is liberation. Yes. Yeah. We could go all day on that. That's all good. day, baby. Yeah, I'd love to. Th- I, and and um, I was talking to my wife, Mary, about Mitzrayim. And she goes, oh, the narrow place. Isn't that also the place from which you could be born? Right? I mean, it starts out as yeah. narrow. But, you know, like think about the birth canal and, and a womb. Right. And, oh, wow. Um, and I was like, so shout out to Mary. Um, and I don't think I mentioned, we are joined by my friends Nick and Kristen Throckmorton. So hello, Nick and Kristen. Uh, hello, Kristen. Yes. Um, Answer two. Oh, so good. Um, okay. Uh, another Hebrew word that I love and I've heard you talk about is yatsa. So it shows up in Genesis 1, 11, day three of creation when God speaks to the seeds that are underground and God says, well, first in, in, I think in verse 11, it's Dasha, but then in verse 12, it's Yatsa, come forth, come out, leave. <laughs> Is it also used uh, in regards to the Exodus? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. So as, so, so you have this, uh, there's, there's a burial, and then it rises up out of the earth. Yes. And you have this pattern, this death and rebirth pattern, and that there's some sort of divine energy that animates the whole thing, and that everything in nature is in some death and rebirth. You have seasons. You have cells within your body. What, 300 million cells in your body will die in this podcast, but your body will also <laughs> produce new ones. Yes. So this death and rebirth, something gets buried in the earth, but then it's called forth. So it's about people groups, it's about nationalities, it's about tribes, but it's also about cells, it's also about seasons, it's it's a way of reading the whole thing. And so oftentimes when people are buried and feel like the whole thing is over, you're like, oh, actually the burial is necessary and it probably is the moment before you spring forth. Yeah. So don't fight it. Whatever you do, don't fight it. Mm, yep. Yatsah. Okay, uh, you you That's write good. about this one in the very beginning of your book, but and I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, but Leho. Mm-hmm. Uh, you write about it in terms of Moses, and your first chapter in, in your book is Moses and his moisture. <laughs> and I just, I could not have loved that opening more. So please riff <laughs> a little bit on that. Oh, uh, that's 
Awesome. I love your love of that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that there, there's this phrase in Deuteronomy, when Moses dies, he's old, but he's full of strength, which is a weird thing to say, because generally when you die, you die because you're not full of strength. Yeah. Like you died. That's, that's <laughs> your strength left. Um, but strength, the word there is like a euphemism. So essentially his, he, he didn't, he still had his leho. He still had his strength, which is a, which means moisture. So there's all these interesting translations of Moses died, but full of moisture, or there's one translation, but he had not yet become wrinkled, which essentially means he could still get it up, yeah. which is just fantastic. I mean, that's, <laughs> you, you can't, can't make this stuff up. So essentially it's a good Jewish story about, he could still participate in the ongoing creation of the world, namely building a tribe to be a new kind of people in the world. Um, it's just so fantastic. And that's why I opened the book, my book with it was because it's a classic example where the writer is telling, you miss all this stuff in the English, but the writer is being so like, it's like funny sexual euphemism, which is about peace and nonviolence and creating a new kind of humanity. It's about, like the, it's just about everything. It's like, which is typical of the Bible. The writers write about one thing, but writing about everything. Well, yeah, and and um, and again, that's what that's what you that's what you say so well. Uh, there's something going on just below the surface of the Bible, so you read it carefully. You pay attention to weird bits. You notice the details. Your love for story and for this story really comes out in this book. Oh, wow. Good. I mean, it really is vibrant. It's humming with your love for this particular uh, narrative that uh, is about liberation. Um, it's funny. A friend of mine said, several friends have said, this is my most personal book. Huh. And I was so struck because it's not like, uh, doesn't have that, you know, it doesn't have like, I mean, like personal stories, but they were all like, no, this is because this this thing has like shaped you in so many yeah. ways. You're writing about it, but it's actually very personal, uh, which I think is very interesting. Because yeah, these stories have really, they have deeply shaped me, and I, mean, I do enjoy them immensely. Well, it's it's so it's so soulish. I mean, it's like it. That's what comes out. It's it's so it it is personal. I mean, I it, and I um, many years ago, Rob, I went to and I drove to. Uh, Grand Rapids and and entered into a big uh, a big building for a conference that you were putting on called Isn't She Beautiful? And you explained the Eucharist in a way um, mm. that I actually um, so at my church this dude he was like you know Steve we do the Eucharist every week I I, I enjoy it but I, I still don't really get it and I explained what you explained to me all those years ago it's ten years ago or maybe more that. If we are the body of Christ in the world, our body we will be broken, our body will be broken, and we will be poured out. Our blood will be poured out for the world. So the Eucharist is going to is going to come together as a group of people to put the body back together and pour the blood back in. And this dude was like, "Oh, I get it, I get it." And I will never forget that, that what the great Thanksgiving, um, it's one of the things that, that has made me love the Eucharist, uh, so much. Mm -hmm. Where, where did you, you know, so it comes from Karis, the word grace, the word Thanksgiving, but where did you stumble across that? Do you remember? Um, I probably, it may have been, I was, um, I had a spiritual director who was a, a Dominican, uh, Dominican at a Dominican center. She was actually a school sister of Notre Dame. 
she and I would talk about that. It's, uh, um, and I had been noticing that about the nature of my work and my life, but I began to notice that about all work, all the way all life works. And some one time she mentioned the good gift, you caressed. And I, I suddenly was like, oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, like a thousand things all of a sudden connected to each other. It's like Tetris. They all fit in place. It's yeah, exactly that like everything. Tetris. It's exactly like Tetris. That, yeah, that one idea. Yeah, that one idea. You're right. It 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 is. It is, it is to say it's a life changing idea is is not to overhype it. It it yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, okay, so could you give a word for people maybe who are listening? And they're, they've just now been realizing that they can no longer stay in the religious system, way of thinking, tribe, um, that, you know, they've tried, but it just isn't working for them. Do you have a word for those folks? Yeah. Yeah, I would begin, well, well welcome to the club. Uh, <laughs> please pick up your uh, swag bag on the way out. Um, I would probably begin with, just a bit of background that businesses, corporations, families, communities, neighborhoods, uh, family systems, office spaces, neighborhoods have centers of gravity of consciousness. And generally there's a way that the world is seen and navigated. And when you see what the people around you haven't seen, first off, when you see, you can't unsee. And when you taste, you can't untaste. And there's, you have to follow it because that's where the life is. And a lot of people weren't taught, oh, you may see things that others haven't seen and it may lead to profound loneliness and even division. And it's not because you aren't being true. It's because you are. Yeah. Um, you're not betraying the tradition. You're being true to it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that in the New Testament, the dominant question in many ways is who is my family? You can see why who my family is becomes a very pressing question. And sometimes this creates great distance between people who may have even brought you into the world. And it's excruciatingly painful. And yet, uh, I mean, in the hero's journey, you have to leave the village. Yeah. And you have to go out into the, into the woods. And there's no chicken in the woods. There's chicken in the village. <laughs> there's <laughs> no chicken in the so you're tapping at that point into many of the great stories that have given human beings comfort and challenge for thousands of years. Um, so what often happens is people, someone's being told, we're concerned about your theology, why are you wandering off, when in fact at this moment somebody is actually entering in to the story as it's been for thousands of years. Yes. No, no, you're, you, this is the tradition. Um, the tradition is not stifling your own sense of self out of some allegiance to something. Um, yeah. So there's always, so there's a loneliness in one tradition. They talk about Jacob wrestles the angel, but he walks away with a limp. Mm. So you're limping, but you've also wrestled with the divine. Yeah. And, and then what happens then also is the people that you do connect with become what you become way more grateful. Yeah. It becomes way more sacred and precious. Cause you're like, Oh, a connection with someone. Yeah. Um, so you, you may have, it may feel like less, but you are so much more grateful when you do run into people. And then 
And I would argue that, that every major technology produces a massive disruption in culture and disruptions always have economic, military, government, technological, and spiritual implications. So we, we are living in an era of massive disruption. I would argue unprecedented disruption and people are seeing things like never before. And um, this, is, this is just the unique dynamics of this time and it's okay. You're going to be fine. It's okay. And we have, that's what we're talking about these things. I, I have a friend, his name's Charlie, and he's always asking the question, what game is that person playing? He's like, you know, we're all, we're all, we're all playing a game. That's I mean, fantastic. We're all, right. And so, um, it, what I hear you saying is you can keep playing the game of trying so hard to be approved by the people that it just, they're not going to give it to you. You know, like you're just, or you can play the game of what's next um, and right. who might I find out there, right? Right, um, right, right, right. So, man, thank you for that. Um, and I would also say to people, you may end up having to have boundaries yeah. with people who were once your closest companions. Yeah. Um, and there may be things that you're like, we seriously, we can't see, we can't, we cannot keep emailing about that. Yeah. Oh, and. You also just met, maybe I have to love certain people from a distance. Yeah. Like that was a wonderful season. Now the season's over. And a, a lot of people just weren't taught any of this and it all feels wrong. And then the tribe often uses all sorts of guilt inducing language. Um, but you have to stay true to what's happening inside of you. Yes. That's how it works. That's how it works. I love that, Rob. Thanks for saying that because I think, I think we, we all get pulled into that guilt of, especially when it's a religious system where it's like, you're not just disagreeing with them, you're disagreeing with God, you know? And so you are now <laughs> right. uh, imperiled, right? Right. right. And so right. You as have... if you're actually disagreeing with God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so silly. So silly. <laughs> okay. It's I'm... also, it's also funny. They killed Jesus as an enemy of the state. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he was in like an orange jumpsuit at Guantanamo Bay. Yes. Like that's, so how did a tribe that claims to orient itself around somebody who was executed at an enemy of the state go, hey, hey, hey. You can't do that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh. Um, my friend Laura, uh, fierce redhead from Burbank. She lives here in Minnesota now. She has a question. She goes, you know, and you probably can't answer it because it's for Kristen, your wife. But she said, is Kristen ever going to write about what it's like to um, to be married to someone who they love and support so much, but then watch them go through so much criticism? And and, and my friend Laura is is a spouse of a pastor as well. Um, but is but is basically is Kristen gonna gonna write about that or has she? You, you know what's interesting? I don't think anything subject on the planet is more boring to my Kristen. <laughs> really? She's more likely to write a book on why she likes cats, and she doesn't really like cats. <laughs> and, and what's interesting is her, she was always like, you follow it where it leads. Yeah. Um, like some some tribe or subculture somewhere that doesn't happen, what, what does that have to do with you being fully alive and going where it takes you. Hmm. So the idea of somebody in Iowa sitting there blogging, 
and then you know it could be anywhere ireland florida who who has some issue with your like that to her is all just theater of the absurd yeah. like what did a million people kill themselves last year what does half the world live on less than two american dollars a day and you have concerns about someone's theology and think that's the Jesus path? Seriously. Seriously. So she has some Kevin Garnett in her. Remember when Kevin Garnett yeah. was signed by the Wolves yeah. and he was 17? He hadn't played one minute of, of professional basketball. I think they offered him the largest contract ever, like $100 million. And And there's this – I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but his response was to $100 million as a 17-year-old Call me when you're serious. Yes. He's 17. <laughs> she understand. I mean, she would have deep empathy for the, for the person whose heart is broken, who's actually taking the arrows. Yeah. Um, I mean, she, she, she knows that feeling, but camping out there for her, she'd be a little bit like, seriously, let's go. Yeah. So she, what is the work you're here to do? Yeah. Uh, what do you need to do that work? Who do you need around you to help you do the work? What resources, um, what things bring you pleasure? What fills you up? What keeps the body and blood together? And then do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think you'd get a, an empowering. I didn't mean to make it sound like she'd be like, oh, tough, <laughs> whatever. But uh, I, I think you'd find a much more empowering, inspiring. Wait, wait, wait. You can give all your energy to that. Or like there's what is it that lights you up? Yeah, man, that's good. Uh, okay. You seem to see celebration as an act of resistance. <laughs> Talk about that. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the modern world is so, there are so many forces that would, pull you to the surface to just skim along the surface of things. Um, it's almost my friend Pete Holmes is this comedian. He has this great thing he does about we live on a planet. And I'm tired of not talking about it. <laughs> um, and he and I will, we will sort of, we will like out wonder and awe each other. Like, look at, we're driving in a car. We're on a ball of debris flailing through space at 67,000 miles an hour. Um, and we'll do whole, we do this, two-man show we'll do whole shows on wonder and awe like and how google does this wonder killing we don't have to wonder anymore we can just google it um how many people go to disneyland today i don't know what do you think a million 50 44 you know what i mean someone google forty-four thousand. done now we now we know <laughs> yeah i i actually um i love pete holmes because i i think i first heard of him when he interviewed you for um you made it oh, weird yeah. So I hadn't heard of him, but his his riff on where was Tom Petty born and the oh. whole like wondering on that is just so love that it's it's so I actually um, so and I also he, he he did a bit you guys are doing this thing together and he he and I actually wrote about this in in my book coming up but he he said you know I got drunk I ate a quesadilla I'm a vegan it's a it's a bad deal and he's so funny but then he goes into this thing of I love you Peter you know so yeah. so he so yeah, this, yeah. this this refrain yeah. that he goes on that yeah. guy is such a gold mine of hilarious deep 
uh, and and crashing. I mean, can we talk about crashing for now? Now yes. we're on Pete Holmes. Now, now I mean, but crashing is so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. my dear lord. <laughs> um, did did you get to go on set at all for that? Yeah. Did yeah, you? Yeah. I uh, I was on set the day of the crucible. <laughs> we're all in the baptismal. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last episode, you guys. You have to watch Crashing. It's so, it's just yeah. so, but the lat, like, did they make that? They Did they make that for the, for the show? That just that scene. Pool? They built that cross-shaped <laughs> pool on the side of a bluff overlooking the ocean in Long Island for that scene. And then they oh. took it apart. I know. It's oh. unbelievable. The way that yeah. ends with Artie, Artie laying in, in the, oh my gosh. So good. I know. So I know. good. Yeah. He's. Yeah. I love Pete Holmes. That guy brings me a kind of joy that is crazy. Um, okay, you got time for a couple more questions, Rob? Let's go. You okay? Give me a couple more. Uh, a word for pastors who are trying to find a way forward? Well, like in politics, they say follow the money. Yeah. So a lot of people are like, well, this is what I do. But so... Um, how can you do the thing that you know needs to be done? Mm. And um, so much of the modern system, first off, we need pastors to take care of themselves. Yeah. But, like you are no help to anybody cooked, burned out, wasted. Oh, my word, I'm so tired. It doesn't actually help people because your job is to live well. And so let's start there. And that will mean disappointing people. So become professional at disappointing. Mm. Uh, and that's the flip side of that is when you don't do it, you're empowering somebody else to do it. Um, but beyond that, uh, the really interesting thing to me is the world is more, people are s more starving and spiritually hungry than ever. Yeah. So... The idea somehow that people aren't interested in joining other people and talking about the things that matter most, that's an absurd idea that somehow that is, uh, it's the kind of communities that is the question. And I meet lots of people who are like, well, I, I, I don't really believe in the thing I'm doing. If I was going to do it, I would do it this way. Okay. okay. What game are you playing? Okay. Um, then you ought to do that. Because yeah. you get one shot at this. So yeah. you might as well do what's interesting to you. Yeah. Thank you. It's gorgeous. Um, okay. Um, last question. I have to ask. This is going to be the most random question ever. But No, nope. um, I'll be judging that. I was in, okay. I was in Laguna uh, Beach, and uh, you said you're working on a book called Jesus H. Christ by Rob H. Bell. <laughs> And so I'm just checking in on the progress of said book, Robert Holmes, <laughs> uh, Bell Jr. Yeah, a lot. I would I would respond alive and well. Okay, excited and I also for that. Say no comment. Okay, good, good, good. No comment. But I have a huge smile on my face. <laughs> I can see it. I can see it. Um, okay, this is my last question. I said that was my last one. Um, but I actually do have one last question. Um, is there a question that you always hoped people would ask you and they just don't? This is so interesting. 
a majority of the interviews for this book, people have asked that. Huh. And I've never been asked that before, maybe once or twice in years. And then this, this round of interviews for this book, all these people have asked that. Isn't that yeah. fascinating? It is fascinating. Hmm. So I have, and I have no answer. I, hmm. I don't, I'm also leery of anybody who would have an answer. Like, I wish people would ask me about my experience <laughs> yeah, yeah. talents. You know what I mean? I have a tortoise collection in my backyard and no one ever, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, they yeah. would always answer it. Like, I wish people would ask me about, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have, I yeah. just, I always draw a blank. Like yeah. I just, go, I just go apple rainbow death wheel. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fair enough. Just, Fair just enough. <laughs> I love that you ask great questions. You really oh, thanks, man. Um, I've loved hanging out with you, Rob. Thanks so much for carving out time. I think, um, wait, you're in Minneapolis? Yeah, yeah. I'm coming. I'm coming, oh, I'm coming. there. Yeah, yeah, I'll see you there. Oh, okay, great. I'll meet yeah. you and your friends. And I'll meet yeah. the folks in the back. I'll meet your, your yeah. audience of two. Nick and Kristen will be there. Uh, yeah, I think you're coming on the PS, Minneapolis Friends, or anywhere uh, nearby, uh, May 31. Uh, Mr. Bell will be right here in Minneapolis. I think you're going to Uptown, which is fun. If you've ever been to Uptown, that's one of the, uh, that's a fun spot to be. So um, I'll see you Good. there. I'll meet and, great. Wonderful. And um, yeah, man, thanks. Just keep keep doing what you are doing. Uh, it is you. good. It is beautiful. Uh, and so many people are with you, including me. Oh, so, that's beautiful. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, Thank man. you. See you soon. Uh, Hey everybody, I'm Steve Weens and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my preaching, my books, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. <laughs>